Uh, we have been uh, going through the book of First Peter for the last uh, month. Uh, but more importantly, I've had, I've had the privilege of not only being able to be up here, but also to share the pulpit with Pastor Mike Atkinson. Hasn't he done a great job this uh, month with the announcements? Uh, I understand that, you know, normally on Wednesday nights, we just kind of skip through things, highlight some things or, or whatever, but he's very, very thorough. And I, hopefully that app is helpful to you, the, the Calvary Chapel Biggersfield app. Uh, today, we're going to be wrapping up First uh, Peter. We've been reading this passage every single uh, week. This is the theme of First Peter. It comes from First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 uh, to 25. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For now you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so, Father, this morning as we approach uh, the conclusion of this amazing book, and, and maybe even for the first time uh, hearing it, Lord, and, and just that understanding that uh, this is Peter, and, and he himself had been immature. He himself ha had had problems and mistakes and sins and, and even denying uh, Jesus himself. And now is at a more mature age and is now instructing uh, the next generation. And so, Lord, as we receive this this morning, I ask that your word would go forth with power, that, that we would see you working not only uh, through the scriptures, but also in the midst of uh, this amazing congregation, this amazing church, Lord. And I thank you for every single one that is here this morning, Lord. I thank you for those that may be watching online or, or in the future watching, Lord. And more importantly, we thank you that you are here with us now, and that we feel your presence, that we know your presence is here, that we get to experience your presence, and we've been uh, worshiping you, Lord. And so, Lord, as we approach the conclusion of this book, Lord, I ask that you would just use us for your glory, that we would be able to apply these things to our own lives, Lord, that we wouldn't just uh, leave and, and forget, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know the, the bulletin, you know, uh, said 1030 for the uh, uh, combined services, and, and, and today is unique because you get to see people that you normally don't get to see, whether it's you come to second service, you don't get to see the first service people, you come to first service, you don't get to see the, the second service people. And, and it's one of those uh, events that we get to have where you get to see other people, but also the youth are in here too today. I always used to love, I, I taught Sunday school for 12 years, and I always used to love uh, the fifth Sunday of the month, once every three months, because we would get off. The Sunday school teachers get off today. You know that, right? And, and hopefully there's, you know, some of you, I see some of you in, in uh, the service today. And it's really a, a privilege to understand that we have so many people that work behind the scenes in this church. And, and this uh, lesson that we're going to be looking at today, especially chapter five, is all about maturity in the church. In fact, the theme of First Peter is Christian maturity in an immature world, right? And the first week we looked at the prognosis or the definition of Christian maturity. Uh, the second week we looked at submission, the superiority of submission and what that means not only in a, a governmental setting, but also in an, a work environment and also in the family as well. And then uh, last week we had the privilege of understanding uh, what it means to go through the suffering of a mature Christian. Because Peter, in 1 Peter, mentions these three words more than any other author in the entire Bible. He uses the word prognosis twice. He uses the word submission 
seven times. He uses the word suffering 12 times in this very short um, book. And today, the, the sermon title is, As Christian Maturity in the House of God. Because it's so easy for the church to look like the immature world. We, we bring in our you know, insecurities. We bring in our problems. We bring in our, you know, uh, you know, personalities of immaturity. We bring it in. Oh, I, I want to act like that person. And it's okay if they do it. Why can't I do it? And it infiltrates the church. And we act like babies. We act like immature little, you know, brats sometimes. You may not believe it, but churches have fights. Churches have disagreements. Churches split. It's horrible, but it happens because Christians can also be immature. Peter is challenging this church, this dispersed church, the church that he is having the privilege of being able to write to, to be mature Christians, grow up in the faith. And that's what we're all called to do. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where we uh, ended last week, we, we read this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding Joy. I remember growing up in a small Baptist church in Alta Loma, California. It was First Baptist Church, California. And uh, I, I remember, you know, we always, you know, would go around and shake people's hands and everything. And, and this was a small church, maybe 50 people on a good Sunday. And my brother and I, we were the youth group of this church, you know. We had to come on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and Wednesday mornings, you know, all those kind of things. But we had to shake every single person's hand, and there was this one person that we always didn't want to shake. Her name was Colleen Evans. You see, Colleen Evans had cerebral palsy. And I remember her to this day, and she always, you know, she was like this, and she, you know, and, and there was, you know, saliva running down her face. And she had a hard time talking. I always remember, you know, my mom made us, made us shake her hand. And it was one of those things that matured me because I, I was probably like maybe 12, 13, 14 years old. And then I remember I started my first year of college at Cal Poly Pomona. And I ran into Colleen Evans again at a church called New Song. And this was a massive church. I mean, this was huge. It was, you know, a lot of college students and a lot of, you know, energy and, and all these things that were going on, a lot of different events. And I served with Colleen Evans in Sunday school, and I served with Colleen Evans in a connect group. Because I, I understood what it meant to see exceeding joy in suffering, because she never was without a smile, ever. She always had that smile on her face. She, she loved Jesus with all her heart. And it was amazing how the Lord works those certain people into your life that, that you may feel like, well, I'm having a bad day, you know, and it's not really a bad day compared to most people. But, but we're, we're very selfish in our emotions toward ourselves. And Peter is bringing out this point that if you feel like down or if you feel like being depressed, look to Jesus because he suffered more than any of us. And he did it with what? Exceeding joy. Peter, as he's writing these amazing words going through uh, the book of, of 1 Peter, uh, uses this word suffering 12 times. T 12 times he uses the word suffering. And what it means to emulate Christ, because Peter was an eyewitness. He saw it. He, he saw the ridicule. He saw the torture. He saw it firsthand there at the fire pit as he himself 
was denying Jesus, by the way. As he himself had those three questions asked, do you know him? I, I remember you talking to him. I, I, I think you're a Galilean. You must know him, right? He denied Jesus Christ. Wow, Jesus Christ himself was being tried, persecuted, and then later on crucified. In John chapter 17, verses 4, 14 through 17, the great high priestly prayer, that chapter that's all read in your Bible, you know, starting in chapter 14 all the way up to chapter 18, the, that red part in your Bible, it, it goes like this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Is there going to be suffering in the Christian's life? Guaranteed, it's a promise. And Jesus is praying for you. In fact, that prayer that is right there, the, the, the majority of that prayer, yes, he, he prays for himself and then he prays for the apostles, but the majority of the prayer is for the future Christians, you. Jesus is praying for you in John 17. He's praying that when, when you go through those times of suffering, uh, that you would feel his presence, that you would know that he is there. He is the example of exceeding joy in uh, uh, suffering. In fact, all around the world, Christians today are being persecuted. In fact, this is one of those times in, in Christian history where there's more martyrs for the Christian faith than there has ever been throughout the last 2,000 years. In fact, just, mu just last month in June, there was 450 Christians killed in Nigeria. There, there's Christians being killed all around the world. And, and, and we, we, we sit in our, you know, air-conditioned, nice, you know, paper-sealed uh, uh, building, you know. And, and, and we, we think we suffer, right? We're not. But when we look at ourselves, we see our sufferings as bigger than what they really are. And the privilege today, and hopefully the understanding is that as we, you know, look at these uh, various points going through, uh, the book of First Peter, that we would understand that if I change my perspective and look at Jesus and what he did for me, everything else pales in significance. My suffering is small compared to what he went through for me. Back in chapter uh, 4 there of First uh, Peter, verse 14, it says, if you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You want to be blessed? Wow, that's amazing. You, you, you are blessed every time you receive, whether it's reviling or, or mocking or, or some sort of, you know, a diss in the name of Jesus Christ. You're blessed. Why? Because you get to share in the sufferings of Jesus. But, but the amazing thing is, if I'm sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, what does that also mean? that I get to share in his glory too. That I get to share being with him forever. Because you're a Christian. You're a, you're a little Christ. You're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says there in the rest of that verse. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. Amen. You receive a, a criticism for being a Christian. Jesus Christ is being glorified because you're standing in the truth. You're standing in the truth. It's not just a martyrdom, but, but even reproach or disgrace or, or shamed for the name of Christ. When, whenever you stand up, for Jesus Christ, not, not just in a public forum, but even just between you and a friend, just standing up for the name of Jesus Christ, you are sharing in who he is. And when I stand up for Jesus and I'm chided or scorned or, or reprimanded, 
you're blessed and Jesus is glorified. Wow. Do you understand the power of suffering and, and why Jesus suffered for you and for me? It's a privilege. And Peter, he, of course, he was, he was there. Look at what it says there in verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Sometimes we, we think that we're suffering when it's actually our own mistakes, and we're just paying the consequences of them. You see, there's a difference. Peter understood that difference. He understood what it meant to put his foot in his mouth. He understood what it meant to make mistakes. He understood what it meant to sin and understand that there's temporary consequences here in this earth that he had to pay for. Now, thank God that Jesus erased all the eternal consequences. Thank God for that. But yes, there are times when we have to understand that I, I, I'm, you know, having to suffer the consequences. And, and, and that's not, you know, Jesus' fault. That's not God's fault. I can't blame God for making me sin. No, that, that, that was my fault. But when I'm uh, reprimanded or chided or shamed or dissed or whatever it may be for the name of Jesus Christ, that's different. I, I'm receiving that as joy, exceeding joy, understanding that I am being equated with Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, getting to share in his sufferings. And by the way, that's a privilege. That's a privilege. And the more mature you get, the more you understand that better. It's those that don't understand the sufferings of Jesus, just want all the blessings, that don't understand that, that act in an immature way. It is a privilege if we suffer for Christ's sake. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Whoa, whoa. We've been going through the Old Testament on, on Wednesday nights and, and um. Uh, we're, we're very close to the very end. We're, we're on the second to the last book, and we're in the book of Zechariah right now in one of the most important prophecies in the entire Old Testament referring to uh, Jesus Christ, the two offices that he's going to, to have. But the whole Old Testament talks about the consequences of Israel's sin and, and how Jesus, first of all, or God was very, very patient with them, first of all, but then because of their constant hard-heartedness, stiff-necked, they rebelled against God and God had to discipline them. God had to put them into bondage for a period of about 70 years. And now they're coming back here in the book of Zechariah and now they're understanding what it means to follow after God. Because the very first thing they want to do is rebuild the temple. They want to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed because of their sin, because of their choices, because of the consequences of their uh, choices. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake, but the judgment of God starts in the house of God. Why? Because we're an example to the world, and we need to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to be examples. And if we're a, a church, a, the bride of Christ, if we're called Christians, followers of Christ, are we even acting like? Or are we imitating an immature world? Which is so easy to do, by the way, because it constantly bombards us. As soon as you walk out of this room, it bombards. It may even be bombarding you right now. I don't know. Maybe look in your phone or whatever it is. I don't know. But, but it constantly bombards us with the immaturity of those around us. And, and Jesus Christ is talking with Peter himself, saying the judgment is coming to the house of God. In fact, all of chapter 5 is about that. This is the perfect segue. I, 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 you know, I was uh, supposed to have the whole month of, of July, but because of you know, scheduling and all those kind of things, I, I got four uh, weeks to do five uh, chapters. And it's one of those things where it's just the way that the Lord works it out. But this, this segue chapter, the segue verse, the last part of 
of chapter 4 going into uh, chapter 5 here, where now it's being directed toward those who have the office of elder and those that are the younger people in the church. Those that are in the leadership position, the pastors and elders, and those that are the next generation of the church. Where does the judgment start? In the house of God. Look at what it says there. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? There is a standard of maturity and righteousness in growing as a Christian. That there, you don't have to change your life to become a Christian. Thank God for that. That is 100% by grace. But when I accept Jesus Christ into my life, when I, when I become a Christian, is there now a growth process? We call that sanctification. Is there a, a, a maturing process in the Christian life? Yeah. We're not supposed to remain babies in the faith. We're, supposed to, we're called to grow. We're called to mature in the faith. God disciplines his house because he wants us to be different from the world. It is a refining process of making you look more beautiful like Jesus. Those of you that have a ring, a gold ring, there, there's a, 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 a mark on it that determines the value of the ring, right? It, it's the carrots. And, and it's the amount of, you know, impurities in the gold. And, and in, you know, of course, in, in olden days, you know, there would be in a, a pot, you know, or, or some sort of a, a, a vessel that was heated to super hot, and as that gold would melt, or that silver, that precious um, metal would melt, the dross would come to the top. And, and so the metalsmith would scrape off the dross, and then, then more dross would come to the top, and it was scraped off until he could see himself in the reflection of that metal. You see, you're a reflection of Jesus Christ. If he's refining you, but is refining hot? Is refining a, a process of removing the dross, the sin in our life? It is a process that we call sanctification. In John chapter 21, uh, verse 15 through 23, and you've probably heard this many, many times. Uh, this is Peter, and we've been uh, uh, privileged to be able to see not only First Peter, but also a, a character study of Peter as well. Peter understood refinement because he had to be refined many, many times. He had to go through discipline many, many times. In fact, the very last time that we see here in John chapter 21, Jesus comes to him. And, and by the way, they're out on the boat. You know, they, they've, they've been fishing for a while, you know, uh, during the night. They haven't caught anything, you know, that seems to always be the case with Peter and and, and the, the, the disciples, and, and they're out on this boat, and they've been fishing all night, and, and this guy from the shore waves to them, have you caught anything? Have you caught anything? And they, of course, Peter says, no, we haven't caught anything, and throw it to the other side, throw it to the other side. And John looks at Peter and says, it's him. And Peter jumps into the Sea of Galilee. He swims to the shore, and there is Jesus making them breakfast. Look at what the, the story says here in, in verse 15. So when he had, they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than thee? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lamb. See, in every single one of these, these cases here, you know, and those of you that have heard that there's whole sermons on this, you know, the, the first time that Jesus speaks is always agape, and then whenever Peter responds, it's phileo, right? You know, and, and, and but the important part, more than that, is the instruction that Peter is given every single time he is asked the question. And in every single case, it's a shepherding term. In every single case, it's a leadership term. 
In every single case, it's a term of endearment toward the next generation. Because Peter could be very, very harsh at times. Peter could, you know, be very, very harsh toward other people. As sometimes we are too. God has to be patient with us, but I don't got to be patient with him. Right? You got to be patient with me, but I don't got to be patient with you. You know that, right? That they have to grow up quicker than I do. But I get all the benefit. You see, for Peter to understand every single one of these instructions is a shepherding term. The first one there is, is feed my lambs. The second one in verse 16, he said to him again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape o me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. By, by the way, this is a fisherman, okay? He had been called to be a fisher of men. Yes, he had been an apostle for Jesus Christ for three full years, and now he's called to be a leader, a shepherd. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. By the way, lambs are babies, sheep are adults, okay? So there's that, the whole gamut. Look at what it says in verse 17. He said to him the third time, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape, or excuse me, phileo me? Uh, Peter was grieved when he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Every single one is an instruction term, a shepherding term. A, 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 as we see here in First Peter, what he is doing now to the next generation, instructing them, understanding what it means to suffer for the sheep to teach the sheep, to feed the sheep, to love the sheep. This is what it says as he continues on there in verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And he spoke to him, signifying by what death he would glorify God. You see, for Peter, he understood what submission meant. He understood what suffering meant. He understood what being a Christian meant because it meant death for Peter. It meant death. He understood where he was going, someplace he didn't want to go to. And then Jesus says this, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, this is your choice, follow me, follow me. Are you willing to go the distance with me, knowing the ending? Knowing the ending. But by the way, you know, these instructions that are, that are here, these shepherding uh, terms, uh, sheep wander, sheep escape, sheep get into trouble, sheep get sick. All these things that fish don't do, all you got to do is catch a fish. It's, it's, you know, that, that, that you just catch it and then it's done, right? Or shepherding, it's a, a process. It's a, a lifelong process of bringing up a lamb to a sheep, maturing the flock. Verse 19 in First Peter chapter 4, Peter ends it like this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Does God know you? Did God create you? Perfectly, by the way. And he created those things that happen in our life on purpose to glorify him. And for every single one of us, it's unique, by the way. And don't, don't despise the day of small things that we learned about on, on Wednesday night. Thank God that every single one of us, if you're a Christian, has a gift to use to build up the church. Whether, whether it's something that we may think, oh, that's, that's small. I, 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 you know, it's not like I'm up here with the worship team or doing something you know, uh, life-changing for some. No, you're praying for somebody. You're encouraging someone. You're opening up your home. You're hospitable. You're showing mercy 
to someone. You're, you're giving a, a word of exhortation or a word of encouragement to somebody. We all have our own spheres of influence that we can reach out to those around us. The first point for today is, as you were created to grow and mature in Christ, God created you, and he wants you to grow in him. He wants you to grow in him. Chapter 5, verse 1, very last chapter. It's a very short chapter. It addresses those people that sometimes we elevate. It addresses those people that, that sometimes we think are, are very, very holy. We, it addresses those people that, that we, we, we think are, are these very, you know, um, uh, you know, they have this high position in the church and, and they live these holy lives until you talk to their wives, right? It's the elders, right? The, the elders who are among you, I exhort. The very first time, I, I remember, you know, 2009, and I, we'd been coming to the church for about uh, two years. And, uh, you know, the pastor at that time, uh, every couple of months, they would have this newcomer's luncheon. And we had young kids at that time. Our, our sons, you may not believe it, but they were, they were young at one time. You know, when we first started coming here, there, was th there were three, uh, five, and, and seven. And, and, and so we, we weren't able to go to the, the newcomer's luncheons because, you know, it was, you know, they, they required, you know, just the adults to come and that kind of thing, you know, and that's understandable. And so we invited the pastor and his wife over for dinner. You know, and, and so we, you're talking and all these kind of things, and he got to know us. And, and, and so on the, I, it was the following Wednesday or the Wednesday after that, at the very end of the service, and, and the pulpit used to be over there, and we were sitting over there by that pole because I could lean my, my sh shoulder against the pole. And, and he, he just, you know, as Pastor Mike always does or seems to always do, he calls out to me and, and says, can you give a good definition for the word exhortation, John? And then, of course, he goes on for five minutes talking, and then finally he gets back to me as I'm standing there in the back trying to think of the definition of exhortation, because I had no idea, I'm completely blank. This is the goal, this is the instruction to the elders. Exhortation, or exhort. What does the word exhort mean? I had to look it up, okay? Exhort means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something, and it has the sense of pushing them forward, maturing them, growing them, helping to be, them to become stronger. It's not hindering them. It's not, you know, putting them down as we're very, uh, well-equipped to do sometimes. We, 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 you know, have our, our little jabs or our jibes or our very little, you know, insults that we sometimes say about certain people in leadership in certain churches. And, and you know, we live in Bakersfield, and I know that there's people that go church hopping all the time. You know, I, well, I didn't like the way that guy preached, so I'm going to go to this church. Or I didn't like that person, there was a, so I'm going to go to this. And, and we have a plethora of churches that we can go to in Bakersfield. That, that, is, that is not the reason for a church. You understand? You see, what Peter is saying to these elders, though, that, that are in the office of elder, I, I exhort you. I, I want you to become more and more mature in the faith. Look at what it continues to say there. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Wow. Is that a high calling to be an elder? I've, I've seen people leave this church because they didn't become elders. Because they were pushing for a certain title or a certain position. I remember when I came to this church in 2007, there was two elders. And guess what? There's still two elders. Ron Paul, Larry Vasquez. Of course, you know, Pastor Mike Ostheim, we'll talk about him in, in just a little bit. But the privilege of understanding their examples of maturity. Instead of, you know, listening to a sermon from someone and then going home and having roast pastor, 
which is what we do a lot of the times, by the way, unfortunately. Did you hear what that guy said? It's horrible, right? It's true, though. What about saying, I'm praying for you, Pastor? Or I'm praying for you, Ron. Or I'm praying for you, Larry. Rather than putting them down. Because you understand that, you know, us that aren't in that position, it's easy to bring them down to our level. We want to discourage them rather than exhorting them, rather than uh, bringing them up. And what does it say? Peter is equating himself with this position, by the way, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. Remember at the very beginning, of the, the verses that we've been reading every single week, who is the example of the capital S shepherd, the capital O overseer? It's Jesus Christ. And, and, and those that have that, position that that title of being a you know elder are under first of all jesus christ as he is the example to them but also our overseers small o in the church you see they they oversee the church whether it's, you know, Ron Paul and his various ministries that he served. And by the way, he's always behind the scenes. You know, I've had the privilege of, you know, he's been coming since he retired on, on Monday nights, you know, for the last seven months. And, and it makes a difference when an elder's in a Bible study. You know that, right? Because there's, there's authority behind the title. And, it, you know, whether it's good or bad, it brings in other people too. The elder goes, the elder goes, right? Or, or Larry being up here, right? leading us in worship. There's a, 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 an authority behind the position. Now, where does that authority come from? It doesn't come from the person. It comes from Jesus Christ. You see, mature Christians are to be an example to the next generation. That's the second point. Mature Christians are to be an example to the next generation. It says in Acts chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, uh, For I am not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And just like Peter was giving those shepherding terms, 1 Peter, Peter writing 1 Peter is also using shepherding term. You're not supposed to fleece the flock. You're supposed to feed the flock. You're not supposed to take advantage of the flock. You're supposed to care for the flock. And this is what the elders do. By, by the way, I, I, you know, I don't know if the guys in the back uh, you know, put this in there, but the, there, there's a... Uh, uh, a secondary title, if you will, uh, to this sermon. It's, it's don't kiss the pastors, okay? Because this is what a lot of people can do. We, we, we uh, you know, cozy up to certain people in certain positions in the church because they have that title. Uh, that we think there's, there's something to be gained by sitting at a, a certain table or, or, you know, cozying up with certain people. And who did Jesus hang around, by the way? He, he hung around those that were the least. He reached out to those that were the ones that needed the most. The sick, the sinner. You see, every time pastor or elder is mentioned 
They are to shepherd the flock of God, not as the capital S, but as the lowercase s. Look, look at what it says, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The judgment is stricter for being an elder. The judgment is stricter for being a pastor. But the rewards are better too. The stresses are high in this temporary world. But there's also a greater reward too. You see, they have to put up with all your, you know, junk. It's, you know, you, uh, a lot of the times, and, and Ron is, uh, excuse me, Larry's up here. He's a very, you know, face forward, you know, uh, you know, most people know Larry. But Ron, you know, he, he's more behind the scenes. Most people don't even know who Ron is, you know. And, and, and who's Ron Ball, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and until you need to be disciplined or until you actually get into trouble, yeah, and then you have to talk to an elder, right? Because this church disciplines the flock. Thank God for that. This church loves the flock so much that they want people to grow. They don't want you to remain in your sin, right? A pastor comes alongside of you. I remember, you know, it was in uh, 2014, September 2014. I was in that meeting when, when Pastor Mike Cosper became a pastor in this church, took over the children's ministry. How, how God has used him, not only in the, you know, the, the school of ministry to, 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 to train a lot of the staff that we have already, you know, but, but also in the various uh, uh, ministries throughout the church, you know, the, the first the, the youth, the children's ministry, and then now the junior high and, and high school ministry, just behind the scenes, just serving, you know, bringing a different person, literally a different person every week. Because he's a, an evangelist. He has that gift to reach out. The, the, the privilege of understanding that when, when you look at the webpage and see all of our past, and I incur, always encourage people to do this. You know, first of all, you get to know who they are. You get to see their picture, see their name. But pray for those men and those women on the page. Because yes, there's, there's women like Vanessa, who is the, the leader over our uh, children's ministry, who, who gets a break today, by the way, too, which is cool, you know. And having to deal with your kids. Not, not just on Sundays, but also on Wednesday nights too. And then the understanding is that that patience of training those Sunday school teachers that are ministering to your kids. And those hard kids that may come in. And some of you are probably in here. It's okay. Totally fine. And when they come in and just loving on them, ministering to them so that parents can come in here and be ministered. We're, we're blessed in this church. I mean, there's such a depth of teachers in this church. Just to be able to come and, and whatever, you know, happens or, or whether the pastor is gone or, or whatever may happen, you know, sick or, or, you know, on vacation or whatever it may be. And, and, and people can fill the pulpit. It's just a, a blessing to be able to be in a church like that. Or Pastor Mike Atkinson. I remember when he first came, it was a Wednesday morning. You know, he'd come the Sunday before, but he, it was a Wednesday morning that I got to meet him. You know, and that now being a part or the pastor of our recovery ministry. And many of you know that not only the, the things that he does around the campus, the physical things, the physical things around the campus. Serving. Being that example of someone with a changed life and wanting other people to experience that same change in their own life. And by the way, the joke always is, you know, you, you can't be a, you know, a, a pastor on staff unless you're a, a Mike. Well, that's not true because we got Pastor Jason too. Yeah, and those of you that know Pastor Jason, I mean, it's amazing, you know, whether it's apologetics or, or just ministering to the kids or the administration of our church, all those things, again, that are behind the scenes. Wanting the church to grow. And himself having to deal with a lot of the, you know, a growing family and, you know, little kids in the house and having to minister to his own family and then, and then you know, ministering to the church as well. And there's those guys. And by the way, do you guys know that Anthony got married? Yeah, 
Anthony got married. You know, guys, guys like Anthony and, and Kevin that are here like 16 hours a day. I mean, literally, no, I'm not joking up here. I'm not, not exaggerating. Wednesday, they're, they're, Kevin's here at 4.30 in the morning, leaves at 9 o'clock at night because he has to lock up. He has to make breakfast for the, the, the uh, Bible study in the morning, you know, and all the things that they do. When something breaks down, it's them that fixes it, right? And then, of course, those of you that, that volunteer, all the different positions in the church, you give of your time, maybe an hour, maybe even a couple of minutes. Maybe you, you feel like you don't have a talent, but you can pray. Look, look at the website and see all those uh, amazing people there. And instead of criticizing them, exhort them, encourage them, pray for them. But Peter doesn't stop there with the elders, okay? He continues on, and thank God it's first uh, or fifth, the fifth Sunday of the month because the next group of people that he addresses, look at this. Verse 5, likewise, you younger people. Your younger people, I, I don't know what age you are, but if you consider yourself a younger person and are here, Peter is addressing you. Do you know the Bible speaks about younger people, kids and, and teenagers and 20-somethings, and whatever it is. It's that next generation. By the way, do you know where the next group of elders are going to come from? The younger people, right? You may not believe this, but Ron Paul and Larry are going to get old. I, I uh, you know, Larry never ages up here. He's been that way ever since I was here, you know. But, but you, you understand where the next group of leadership comes from. It comes from the young people. It comes from the younger people. Peter says it like this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. You see, that's the the rub for younger people. I remember all of us were younger at one time, right? And it was hard to be humble when you're young because you think you know all the answers. Well, if I was in leadership, I would be like this, right? Until you're actually put in that position and you learn how hard it is, right? No, no, it, it, the understanding of, of growing up in the church is the first to be humble before the Lord. Look at what it says there. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank God for that. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Unfortunately, you know, Young people, especially as, as a younger person, sometimes we don't feel like we're being cared for enough, even though we probably are. We just don't think it is, you know, the way that we should be cared for. But who cares for you? A guarantee, a promise, by the way. Who cares for you? Better than your parents, better than your friends, better than your siblings. Who cares for you? Duh. God cares for you. And by the way, that too is a shepherding term. It, it, it's God caring for the next generation, the, the younger uh, people and, and, and younger Christians there to show the older Christians how to be humble. Wow. Uh, according to the scriptures, they're, they're to show that, that example, because what does it mean to truly submit? And if you haven't heard the, the sermon uh, two weeks ago about submission, that there's a superiority in submission. There's an understanding that when there's submission, I'm acting like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ submitted to the will of the Father. Third point, the next generation is the future of the growing, maturing church. The younger, the gen next generation is the future of the growing, maturing church. Because the church is always one generation from extinction. 
Because if it stops with whoever's in leadership now, it's going to grow. It's the younger people that are coming. It's those that are being trained even now, in whether it's, it's uh, you, know, uh, um, uh, you know, associate positions or, or positions of, of training or whatever it may be that are growing in the church. Isaiah chapter 66, I love this. This is one of my favorite uh, sections in the, in the whole Bible. This, this is God from his throne, okay? Listen to what it says. Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter of Isaiah, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? And for all these things my hand is made and all those things exist says the Lord, I, I live in heaven, I have everything, but these are the type of people I'm looking for. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. What kind of people are God, is God looking for? Humble. By the way, that's the whole, you know, uh, Beatitudes, if you will. Uh, verse 8, continuing on in, in 1 Peter, and this uh, also is to younger people uh, to be examples to the next generation. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour, and Satan wants to devour the next generation. He wants to stop the next generation. He wants to prevent the next generation from ha having that, you know, um, example of maturity in uh, Christian leadership. Because he knows if he can disqualify them now, that adversary of our soul, that testimony that God wants us to have against the adversary, that actually overcomes the adversary, you see, the best testimony that you can have, young person, the best testimony that you can have right now is a faithful walk with Jesus Christ. Every single day choosing Jesus. That, that's the most powerful testimony you can have. Thank God for the dramatic testimony. Thank God for those. But, but the most powerful one is, is I chose Jesus every single day of my life. I want to follow after him. You see, there's a high standard for being an elder. There's a high standard for being in a leadership position of eldership. And so many people are disqualified because of the choices that they've made in their life. It continues on there, verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Are you alone in suffering for Christ? No. This church isn't alone. The, the, Bakersfield isn't alone. There, there's people all around the world that suffer for Jesus Christ. When you truly understand that, it's an encouragement. When I suffer a little bit for Jesus. Because there's a commonality throughout the world in Christendom, verse 10. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Is there a reward for suffering for Jesus? Is there a reward for standing up for Jesus? Peter understood that. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, point number four, the next generation is the strength. It is the energy. It is the power of the future church. And Peter understands that. If they're being established in Jesus. If they're being established in Jesus. Now, there, there's a, you know, I remember the very first time that you know, it was on a Wednesday morning, uh, 2010. And, and Pastor, had, uh, my son, one of my sons, I think it was Zachary, he, he had left his Bible at church on a, a you know, Juana's or something like that. And he asked me to get, get his Bible. And so, uh, you know, I, I talked to the pastor after the Wednesday morning Bible study, and, and we walked to one of the buildings over here in this building over here and where the lost and found was. And I found my, my son's Bible, and he told me this story about when he first became a youth pastor at this church. 
Because when he came became a youth pastor at this church, there was a whole bunch of video games in that building, and and all they did supposedly, you know, from the the words of of, of Pastor Mike Ostheimer, so it has to be true, you know, that that there was a whole bunch of video games in this room, and all they would do, the youth would just do, is is they play video games, and then they go across the street and get something from the you know the 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 mart across the street, the gas. Uh, station over there and then they come back and then they play video games and, and then when pastor mike you know took over the youth he got rid of all the video games do you know why but by, by the way the the youth uh attendance went down a lot that's what he said but do you, do you understand what it means to grow that when you you know, leave your kids and trust your kids to the Sunday school teachers. They're going to instruct them in the word of God. The next generation is the power, the strength, the energy of the future church. You, I, I see those youth. You know, the, it's the youth that serve in so many of the different functions of the church. Because they have the energy, they have the strength to be able to do it, right? The next generation, stand strong in Jesus. The most powerful testimony you can have. Grow in the faith. There's something I want you to do today. Now we're we're going to pray. But if there's a younger person next to you, put your hand on them. There's an elder next to you or a pastor next to you. Put your hand on them. We're going to pray for them today. Do they need prayer? You know, and, and again, you know, even if you need prayer, you know, it's okay. You, you just say you're a younger person. It's okay. Totally fine. You know, it, it, there's no aid given to it or anything like that, right? But, but pray for the younger generation. Pray for the elders. Pray for the pastors around you. Because the privilege that we have is understanding that as a maturing church, we're an example to the world. Now, remember what Peter's goal was. He knew where he was going. He, he knew what was going to happen to him. He, he knew when Jesus told him to, to feed those sheep, feed those lambs, tend to those sheep, that the end of his life was going to be coming. Someplace that he didn't want to go. You see, for Peter, the end, suffering meant the cross. And he was there on Vatican Hill. And first his, his wife was, was crucified, and he yelled out those, that amazing phrase, my beloved, remember Christ, remember Christ. And then he himself, <clears throat> not wanting to be crucified the same way as his beloved Jesus, was crucified upside down. And the understanding is, you know, what does it mean to suffer? For us, it doesn't mean, you know, dying on a cross, but yes, it does doesn't mean carrying a cross, but yes, it does. Because every single day we're called to deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow after him. So if there's a, a pastor or an elder or a young person next to you, and if there's not, by the way, get up and find one, okay? Totally fine. I don't care. You know, get up and find one, okay? Let's pray for them today. And so, Father, we thank you so much. First of all, that you're here. First of all, for this amazing book of Peter, the instructions that Peter gives to the church of, of what it means to uh, submit, what it means to, to suffer, what it means to go through a refining, disciplining process, growing, maturing in a Christ. Thank God that you take the time to shepherd us. And then, Lord, we thank you for those in leadership in this church. We, we thank you specifically by name. 
for for our pastor, Pastor Mike Ostheimer, for Pastor Mike Atkinson, for Pastor uh, Mike Cosper, for Pastor Mike Butler, for for Pastor Jason, for for our elders, Ron, Paul, and and Larry Vasquez. We ask that we would pray for them. We ask that you would remind us to exhort them, encourage them. We ask that you would help us as a church to be united in you. Lord, we lift up to you these young people that are here today. Whatever age they may be, the, the future generation of the church. Lord, we lift them up to you right now. Having to sit through an adult service, you know, listening to some guy on a, a pulpit rather than, you know, doing other things. Lord, thank you for their patience, Lord. Thank you for their humility. Lord, I ask that you would put a hedge of protection around these young people today. That as they grow up in, in a, a walking faith with you, that they would see what it means to be a mature Christian and even be an example to those that are older than them. An example of what it means to follow after you. And so, Lord, as we, we put our hands upon our, 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 the ones that we love around us, our, our elders, our pastors, or the young people of this church, Lord, that you would bless them. That we'd use this church for your glory. So Lord, I thank you for these, my friends and my family. I ask that you use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here uh, today.